Welcome to the Trisco Podcast. We are three druids gathered in a virtual grove to share our thoughts and our path with you. Hi, welcome to the Trisco Podcast. This is our 14th episode. If you are a new listener or viewer, welcome to the podcast. And if you are returning, welcome back. Thank you very much for coming back and listening to us. Today, we're going to be talking about magic and how we use it within our practices and how we think about it and how we, we're going to start out with defining it. But before we start, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Victoria, and my pronouns are she and her. I'm Drum, and my pronouns are he and him. And I'm Amber, and my pronouns are she and her. So as I mentioned today, we're going to be talking about magic. And let's start with a definition. What, what is magic? Um, to me, essentially, magic is, is energy manipulation. That is the easiest definition I can give of it. It is using your will to make a change in the world around you in some way. I, w- I would go with that as well. I, I always say that magic is nudging the universe because I think that the universe, is, there's this collection of, you know, of energy and things. And um, there are certain things that I can, I can easily manipulate and there's other things that I can't. And so I try to nudge the universe through will and through action uh, to make those ends happen. So I'm with Amber. I guess for me, I, I have a much broader, well, much more, detailed definition and yet not so detailed. Uh, For me, magic is really the set of tools and techniques that we use uh, to, I use the term load the dice, which is very similar to nudging the universe. Uh, I'm just making my chances better that something is going to happen and that I will notice that it happens. Um, I think a lot of magic is, is about well, okay, so there's inner magic and outer magic, right? There's magic that I'm doing to myself. And there's magic that I'm doing to change the world. Um, I think the two are very linked because in a lot of cases, simply being able to see things that are happening helps us a lot to actually make things happen. Boy, that's a big one there. I agree with you. That's, that's huge, honestly. I think that's huge. How much do you think is that psychological perspective of magic versus actually being able to change the world? I think that's kind of a mixed bag, honestly. I mean, I think that sometimes magic is psychosomatic. You know, if, if you do a magical working so that you can get that job, you know, maybe you'll have more confidence when you go into the interview and actually nail that interview and help that get, help you get the job that you did a working for, you know? So I, I think that there is a combination of that psychological impact and the energy that we're actually putting into the world. Um, you know, when we're doing healing workings for other people, we we're sending our energy to help make them heal in, in whatever illness that they're fighting. There's nothing psychological about what we're doing there. There's nothing in our brain that's going to make them feel better. Does that make sense? Yep. So I think that there's instances where it, it, it can be very psychological, but other times where it's, it's not at all. Yeah, I, I think that's, I agree with that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there is a psychological component and I think that psychological component is belief. Um, if you, if you're going to do magic and you don't believe it's going to happen, you're wasting your time, but you have to believe if you believe that what you're doing, um, that, that goes a long way. And I also think it's really important not only to believe it, but to see it or to do it. Um, 
I can talk more about that a little bit later, but I, you know, I think that doing magic really is doing it is putting your hands to it and going, you know, if you want to, uh, if you want something to happen, you have to make it happen. Um, yeah, or at least absolutely. go through emotions. And, well, and that's, I mean, if you, again, going back to like um, doing a working to help find a new job, you have to like apply for jobs, like right. put some effort in the real world to help make that happen. You can't just sit at your current job that you hate and cross your fingers and hope something's going to fall on your lap. Like you have to do something in addition to the working in order right. to, to move forward. I do think that it's a combination though. So using the magic to find a job, since I have done that multiple times in the past, um, one time I got let go, my job was made redundant and looking for a new position. And I was not in a good headspace. I, the, the, uh, the letting go was quite a surprise, was unexpected. And the magic helped me because it was a repeated spell, one of these spells you do multiple days in a row to really reground, recenter and refocus so that when I was doing the interviews, because I was also sending resumes out into the world and all of that stuff. But when I was actually sitting there doing the interviews, I was in a much better personal space to actually be able to do the interviews. And I had the belief that the magic was with me, carrying me and that it would open the doors that made sense. Uh, what was really, really interesting in that particular set of workings, because I didn't do it once, it was over a few months, is that um, I got the, well, I got the job, sort of, that I thought was my dream job. And between the verbal offer and the written offer, the position got canceled. And then I went back to one of the previous companies that I had interviewed with, who I had also gotten an offer with, and that position was still open. And it turned out that that job led me to the job I have now that I love. And through, you know, oh, now you know people who now have seen what you do. And so then you get hired onto the next company and the next company. Um, and the working I did was for the next best job, the next job to move me in the right path. Not necessarily for the best job. Uh, so in that case, the magic totally did what it was supposed to do. It just took a while getting there 12 years later, but, um, but it certainly did help me find that next job that was the one that I needed to go to the next one after that and, and beyond. Uh, and so I think there's also a time component that we have to be aware of in that the universe doesn't move super quickly. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And so stuff will take a while. Or also had spells work the next day. So, you know, it's-, it's there's, also the, there's also the idea that um, just because you're asking for something doesn't mean the result will be what you anticipated. Doesn't mean it won't be the answer to what you've asked. But it, you know, it, in that example, you know, that you gave for the, the job working, you got what you asked for, just didn't look the way you expected it to. You know, and I think that magic happens that way a lot. Like wording and and uh, meaning matters, but it doesn't always matter. Match the universe doesn't always match what we expect. I guess. So, how do you craft a good working? I, I think that one of the things uh, that we have to do when we th we think about these things is um, I, I call this notion time stream, and that's that. Not necessarily. It goes back to what you were talking about, uh, Victoria. It's not necessarily a singular moment 
that, oh, I've done it now, it's this thing. But it's that whole stream of time where it unfolds because, you know, the universe is not instantaneous. So I think that it's this unfolding thing. And it's, um, you know, for me, um, we all would like the results of our magic to be immediate. But we have to understand that sometimes to make things happen, it's a process. So I think that if we, uh, you know, when I set something up, I set up the, uh, I don't want to use the word theater to describe it, but I set up the motions that I'm going to go through to make something happen. And I, I am prepared to continue with those motions for an indefinite period of time. Uh, because some of the some of the things I do, especially with with healing workings, um, those never end. They never stop uh, because there's always someone in the process. So I think that the idea is to visualize what it is I want and then try to put together, um, you know, kind of the mechanics of how to do that. Literally speaking, the mechanics of how to do that. You know, if I want to, if I want a tree to grow. I'm going to envision that tree growing, you know, it's going to be, I'm going to have the idea and then the physics or the physical actions behind it to make it happen. That's how I do it. Also go plant the tree. Plant the tree. Yes. Yes. That's the important part. (laughs) The other part I think that's really important when writing a magical working is to be clear with what it is you're expecting you know, give as much detail as you can for what you're wanting to get from the working. Um, And sometimes that's not possible. You know, you don't know exactly what job it is you want. You just want a job, you know? And so finding a job that is the right fit or the right next step for you or or something along those lines is appropriate. But just saying, you know, hey, I need a job offer. Well, I mean, Burger King could call and maybe that's not what your goal is. You know, maybe you work in technology and so you want a technology job. Like, you know, setting those clear expectations, I think, is really important. I think there's a sort of a balancing act, though, between understanding what you need versus the specific details and what you want. Mm-hmm. So uh, so if you're looking for a job, um, I need a job that pays at least X amount of money, is in this field, works these kinds of hours, commute is X amount. Like those kinds of things to me are the really important things to include, right? This kind of culture in the company, whatever. Um, But saying I want this job at this company Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily the smartest way to build that spell because maybe you'll get it, but it might be completely the wrong one for you. I have had experience with taking a job at a company that I was like, yes, this is going to work. And the universe was kind of like, no, 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 this is not going to work, but you're dumb and you're not paying attention. So have at it. That was probably the worst time of my life at a job. So, you know. I think my favorite example of of that, honestly, is your your hat story from your (laughs) latest working. (laughs) you, You have to tell it here. That's what's important. My hat. So you guys have seen me wear my witch's hat on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought that hat uh, the be- from Etsy um, from a company in Toronto, in Canada, which is about six hours drive away from me. And the the hat, I bought it uh, beginning of October and the mail has been slower than molasses in winter. And I was like, all right, I want to make sure I get my hat. 
And the delivery date was sometime between, I think it was like October 15th and November 10th. It was some crazy wide range. I'm like, all right, no, 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 I want it. I want my hat. I didn't pay it, so I did a spell. Um, the working I did was to the planetary uh, spirit of Mercury. So not the deity, but the, the energy of the planet. And uh, St. Expeditus, who is a, he's a non-real saint, but he's a real saint. He's not recognized by the Catholic church, but he is recognized by a lot of practitioners um, in the magical arts as someone who can help you get things quickly. And I did that working and I tried to let it, let it go and just kind of ignore it. And about a week later, I'm like, where's my hat? Should be here by now. Check online. My hat is in British Columbia, which if you understand is on the other side of Canada. It went from six hours away from me to a six hour flight away from me. <laughs> um, and I uh, realized then that the planet Mercury was in retrograde. So perhaps appealing to the planetary spirit while they're in retrograde wasn't the smartest move. Um, I then simply appealed to St. Expeditus along with a oops, I'm sorry offering and uh, got my hat the next day. Excellent, I love it. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. But it was just kind of one of these cautionary tales about, you know, just because you do magic, there's other stuff in the world that can impact what you're doing. Um, this is one of the reasons that I have a very, very challenging time with doing political magic. You see the calls lately for a lot of magic. Because there's, at least in the US, as we've seen recently, it's split about half and half. And if you've got a bunch of magicians doing magic for one side, you've probably got a bunch of magicians, and I'm including all the Christian ones in both of these, on the other side. And they might just cancel each other out. So trying to figure out the smart things to do magic for is also, I think, really important. It's that whole, we're nudging the universe, we're loading the dice, we're not guaranteeing an outcome. So let's find, if I double my chances of the lottery, it's still not a lot. <laughs> it's still a really, really tiny chance. Right. If I double my chances of throwing heads on a dice, on a flipping a coin, that's a lot better, right? Like actually understanding the odds and, and understanding how likely the thing is to happen and how likely you are to be able to affect it mainly by how many other people are also trying to affect it. Directly, consciously, unconsciously, indirectly, however. I think being specific is important though as well. Um, you know, I always, the anecdote that I like to tell is about, uh, not that I have any experience with this or anything, but um, you know, people who are in like long-term divorces that are going on for a really long period of time. So a person, person walks outside and says gods you know make this divorce end and so a meteor falls out of the sky and lands on top of them. you know so the idea is that um, I think you have to be a little more specific because if you just uh, have a little too broadly then you may get what you want uh, and it may not be what you need um, so I think that uh, you know being a little more specific 
uh, is helpful. But I also think being too specific is kind of like doing a really complicated Google search. You may come up with nothing. So I think you have to be, you know, look at your parameters and look at your, um, you know, your, your, what you're looking for uh, and approximate it. I think it's a lot like when I'm, when I'm working with engineers to get requirements. Uh, those of you who have worked with engineers will understand this. I'm an engineer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> engineers are very good at telling you what exactly should happen. This API needs to give me this result this function needs to do this thing. They're not very good at telling you why and what the goal is and what they're actually trying to accomplish. And I think magic is sort of the same way. We need to really frame what it is we're trying to accomplish and why it's important. We need to know why it's important so we can get the energy behind it. And we need to frame what it is we're trying to accomplish. What's the you know, for those of you in project management, what's the user story? How do we, what are we trying to get at? Not, not the very, very fine details of exactly how to implement it, but what does success look like in this spell? I'm getting very businessy in my terminology here. Sorry, it's what I do for a living. No, no, but, it's good. Um, and really just kind of analyzing, like, what am I actually trying to accomplish here in order to get whatever the thing is I'm looking for? You know, I don't necessarily care which, I care which company I work for now because I'm in a really good one. But when I wasn't in a great company, I didn't really care which company I worked for as long as they had the culture that I was looking for and the type of job and the pay that I was looking for. So just understand like where, where your parameters are negotiable and where they're not. Yeah, I've also found for myself that sometimes when I'm doing magical workings and I develop a methodology and I follow that methodology. And I mean, I, I think that you can feel whether it's working or not, especially over time. So sometimes I think I have to, I have to reframe the approach and say, well, I've been trying this methodology to, to accomplish this end or to nudge the universe in such a way. Maybe I need to think about it a little bit differently. And, and approach it in a different way. I, I do that all the time because sometimes, um, you know, the things that I'm trying to accomplish aren't working. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they will never work. Um, you know, there are certain things you cannot change. We can hope that we can change, but I, you know, the, I, I change the way I look at it. And um, you know, sometimes I feel like this is, I feel that, you know, this is working. So I think you have to be open to, you know, if this isn't the way it, you know, examine how you feel about it and what the results look like. So changing topics here slightly, very slightly. Um, we're all devotion polytheists. How does your devotion work differ or is similar to magic? Are they all in the same? I mean, obviously they're all the same practice and that we each do them both, but how are they related to each other? I don't know. I think that's an interesting crossover. Um, I'm somebody who thinks that pretty much all of the ritual work that we do is magic in some form. Um, building reciprocal relationship with things that we can't see in real life. We're connecting to the universe on a greater scope, even if that is a simple prayer or lighting a candle or just giving, you know, part of your bread in the morning or whatever to those beings. I think that that is a, a magical act, that that reciprocity is building relationship and you know, fostering that, that connection with each other. Um, 
the work that I do with Hestia is intentionally like I'm building a relationship with her, but I'm also hoping that in turn she will protect my home and my family and, and make my, my home a, a warm and bright space, you know? So it's, it's that give and take type of thing that is also a magical working all in one. So I, I think that they can be very interconnected, um, but also not, most of what I'm doing doesn't look like a spell or a ritual or whatever in, in the normal context. And I'm using air quotes that if you're listening, you can't see um, because they're just words. They don't have to be big, fancy events. They're just they're, the communication. I do. Um, some of the things that I do, especially you mentioned about protecting, having Hestia protect you. And I think that's that. I do, I honor my household spirits every day and I do, um, it's a devotional act. It is also a physical act because I actually anoint a stone, which is analogous to, you know, their temple. And then I light a candle. And by doing those things, uh, this is me making them an offering and building that relationship. And in all honesty, fundamentally as deep, you know, as deep as I can feel it, I feel that they do protect my home and my hearth and my family. Um, and uh, that, is my, that is my prayer and my working. And, um, you know, it's something I believe in very, very much. Um, so I think that that's, uh, I think that that devotional practice works. Right, and I know when I do magic, um, when I have a devotional practice, I work with the, with a set of allies to help guard my home and um, another set for healing. But at the same time, I also do magic that is very specific. It, it looks like a spell, right, right. if you will, um, as opposed to just it's sort of part of everything else that I do. I'll carve time out for specific things sometimes to, to work them. So my question is, to you guys, do you think you can do magic without the devotional part? I think in theory, everyone has to start somewhere. So even if it's the first time you're doing a devotional, you know, if you're building in that magical aspect of it, sure, you have to start somewhere. Um, but I, I do think that it works better if you've built the relationship with whoever it is you're calling to for help. Um, the metaphor I always use because I talk in metaphor more often than I speak in normal English is essentially inviting someone to your house. If it's someone that you know really well, someone that you've had drinks with, someone you've had supper with, they might come over and help you move. If it's just some random person on the street, you're like, hey, can you help me move? They're going to be like, who is this crazy person and why are they talking to me? They may like help you and then like scamper around the corner like, I don't know what I just did. You know, so building that relationship helps um helps increase the likelihood that the those beings are going to be willing to help you out and that I, I agree with you for magic that includes beings outside of ourselves right um i guess my question really is can can you do magic without the connection without the spirits without religion sure can you yes do i know right. um you know, for me, devotion is the sandbox for my magical practice. And um, I, 
I think that if you, I mean, even if, it, if you go through some formulaic magical practice, there's still a fundamental belief in, in, in that you're working with something, you know, some entity there. Um, so it may not be devotional. It may be, you know, it may be the will or summoning or something, but I still think that there's a relationship there of some sort. Right. I mean, even if you're just calling on the energies of the universe, you know, you're, you're working with something, you know, you may not name that a deity or an ancestor or whatever, but I still think that you're, you're working with that energy, um, call it whatever you want. So I think the more you work with that thing, the more functional it's going to be you know if the first time that anybody ever did a spell or a magical working whatever i don't know of too many like amazing success stories on that first swing but as you've done that same type of working over and over over time you get better you understand how it works and what to do and you're more likely to get results i mean like my my crazy healing sigil right Um, so i I actually pulled it down because I thought this might come up. So this is my crazy healing sigil. And I will get a focused version of that to Amber to actually include. Um, it, it's the it, two runes. It's Iwaz and Ira. And you probably can't see it in there because they're heavily zentangled. The amount of time and effort I took into doing this, you can see how much work is actually on the piece. Uh, And this is not a very large piece. It took quite a while to get this done. As I was doing it, right, I'm working into the spell. I do a lot of sigil and and candle magic. Uh, So as I'm working into the spells, I'm doing the stuff, all of the the symbols show different things, right? They mean different things. They're just, they're just shapes. They're they're basic Zentangle stuff, but, this sits on my altar and whenever I'm doing healing work, which I do most days, uh, it becomes a trigger for me now as I in, in sort of like I can call it to mind. And uh, this was actually created in September. I wrote the date on the back. This particular rune, to go, to go back to the idea of if you work with this particular spell or a particular being, this has meaning for me. Just sketching out the binder rune that this is based on triggers a magical working because I've put so much energy and effort into that symbol. And as I've worked more with it, it has become more and more effective. And we've had some really good results of people who, you know, are no longer in pain or off of meds or different, different things like that, uh, that did my workings with this sigil make that happen? I don't know, but I'm not willing to say it didn't help. Um, and then it, that's just gotten better the more that I've worked with that specific sigil and, and symbol. Actually sitting down working with that one spell, that one sigil, that one ritual over and over and over and over again, it really builds up a strength in, in that spell itself for me, right? Because I'm the one that's doing the working. So this is, I'm building a relationship with that spell, with that sigil. Uh, so to, to Amber and Drum's point, I think that figure out what it is you're going to be working with and build a relationship with whatever that is. Uh, if that's deities, if that's sigils, if that's just sort of the force, build that relationship, get used to it, get used to working with it, understand how that energy works, 
And that makes your magic stronger and better over time. Magic can be fun. Experiment. It's okay. You may decide it sucks and you don't like that method, but you may find something really cool. And one thing I like to do is um, when I know someone's going to, this is just one of the things I do. Um, when I know someone's going to have surgery, um, I ask them to write uh, the name of Mia, who's the god of, uh, he, of sur uh, surgery and leechcraft in the, in the Irish tradition. And uh, I ask that they write an oem on, you know, the part of the side of their body, if they can, where the surgery is going to happen. And so it's kind of a two-step kind of thing. So they, they obviously think there's something to it because they're willing to take a pen or a marker and draw this sigil on themselves. So they're doing part of the work. And then what I do is I, you know, from a distance, uh, will try to energize that sigil. Uh, and so I'm kind of connecting into that sigil over there um, and kind of, you know, creating a link there. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, that helps sometimes, you know, I don't, it's surely not the, you know, I don't think it's a, an all healed, but I think it's, it's a modality that does work uh, or does have the potential for working. And what I like about that is that there's really two people working on it. It's not just unidirectional, it's kind of bi-directional. And uh, mm -hmm. I think there's something about that. For those types of, of healing works, I actually like to use sympathetic magic for that reason. You know, if you can create a, a figure or a, uh, whether it's a little clay figure or a cloth figure or whatever that's in the shape of the person or whatever you're trying to heal and do your working on your little miniaturized being, for me, that helps focus that energy a lot more. Um, so I do a lot of, of sympathetic magic in, in those, those specific situations. I think that also helps the magician because you're, it's easier for you to visualize where the magic is going and to help direct it. Yes. Um, and certainly sympathetic magic and various kinds of tag locks are super useful. Tag locks, by the way, for people who aren't familiar with the term, is some kind of personal connection to whoever you're doing the magic on. So a piece of hair, a piece of clothing, uh, fingernails, all that kind of stuff, those are tag locks. Um, a signature can be a tagalog. And, but I, I wanted to sort of go back to something that Drum said briefly uh, earlier, and, and you sort of obliquely referenced it, Ember, doing magic on someone who's not in front of you. So doing magic for someone, but in a way that, that implicitly incorporates them, right? whether that's with a puppet or uh, having them draw the sigil on themselves where you know what it looks like, so you can, or the, the name of the deity, um, so that you can actually incorporate that. One of the things I always find fascinating is if you look at a lot of the ritual structures. Um, so the, in the Wiccan uh, tradition that I was taught, uh, when you cast a circle, you're in a time between times, a time that is all times. Um, a time between places, a time that is all places. When we cast, well, we don't cast, when we define our sacred spaces and we open the gates, we are opening the gates at the center of the universes to the center of the universes. And I know the sort of in the general understanding of ADF, it's all, all centers, all of the ritual centers are one throughout all time and all, and all space. 
And so if you, you've got somebody doing a ritual in Toledo, you could have a ritual in Montreal and the two can be connected and the magic go through because they're connected to the same sort of center of the, I call it center of the universe, that's my term, that's not an ADF term, um, to just the sort of the center. And I, I find it really interesting because we see so many times where that sort of concept is reflected in magical thinking and ritual thinking. And it definitely does seem to be a thing, like a thing, right? So if you look at some of the, the quantum mechanics, or even if you look at a lot of the time travel fiction, Doctor Who, you know, it's timey wimey wibbly wobbly it's kind of all connected and sort of intertwined with each other so that you're getting, you're able to influence things that are further away from you than if they were, you know, as if they were right next to you. So I mentioned before that I tend to work a lot of sigil magic and candle magic. Um, for folks who aren't familiar with those styles, the sigil that I held up earlier, basically it's making a pattern or some sort of symbol uh, that represents a thing, a desire, a need, whatever it is, uh, is the sigil magic. And very often I will inscribe my sigil on a candle, charge the candle with that energy and that intention and, and burn it down to release it into the universe. Oh, to release the intention into the universe and then hopefully the magic comes back to me. Um, what kinds of magic do you guys work with other than the devotional work that we've already talked about? I'm a big candle magic fan. Uh, I do lots and lots and lots of candle magic. It's what I do the most of. Um, and I do exactly what you do. I, I like to buy those little chime candles. Um, and I use, I use my fingernail and I inscribe, I draw a line on it and I, I hash oem on it. And I hash the intention of the candle in that. And then I empower the candle with that and I light it. And since they're little chime candles, they burn down in about 45 minutes. And I believe that that releases the, the magic to the universe. And um, I, I do that every day, every day. It's something I'm very comfortable with. And um, I have a lot of blue candles, um, you know, traditional stuff. And um, I do healing workings um, a couple times a day in the blue candles, especially you know, if I'm on social media and someone says, hey, my mother's ill, or hey, I need this, I, I get their permission, I get their name, hash it on the candle, light it off, and, you know, do my working that way. So that is not, that is not a devotional piece of magic. I, um, you know, it's me and the candle and the flame. I do a lot of playing. I like to experiment. I like to try new magic. It's a problem. It's sort <laughs> of like my uh, addiction to... Uh, divination which is magic the same mm -hmm. i do a lot of divinatory magic um a lot of scrying that type of stuff because uh divination is cool um i also have done some really interesting work with like crafting as a magical act um so i talk about it all the time but the odyssey working that i did um I did a, a type of like sympathetic magic in it a couple different times. Um, one of them, so when Odysseus is on the Isle of Circe, he works with Circe to build a raft so he can leave the island, right? So one of the workings I did was to build my own raft. 
but I'm not going to build a raft. I live in the city. So I built a little tiny raft, you know, to, to replicate that same practice. But in it, I carved, you know, all of the things that were important to me, all those things that helped keep me afloat. And, you know, it, it became a really powerful, um, a really powerful working for me when, when it was a really dark time in my brain um, to, to help focus on the more positive things in my life. Um, my partner and I have worked with uh, a lot of Enochian magic. We've done a lot of, of uh, working through the Tablet of Union and that fun stuff. Um, so before we go, I believe it is my turn to uh, do an omen. So, Spirit of Runes, share your wisdom with us this day. And we start with Awas. And um, Awas is about work and partnership. It's about uh, people working together to make something happen. Kenaz. Kenaz is the fire, it's the torch, it's, it's destruction and it's creation. It's the fire that burns through the forest that makes way for new growth. It's also creativity and that, that fire of creation. And then Tiwas. Tiwas is success and oaths linked to the god Tyr. Um, I think in this reading, really, this is, this is about working together. It's about the fires that drive us, that sometimes cause us to destroy things in our path as we move forward, but that have us moving forward to new things, to better things, to things that create create something new and a reminder to keep true to ourselves, to keep true to who we are and to our integrity and the promises that we've made in that process. So take that and enjoy. And hopefully that helps you in the next few weeks. And with that, our episode is at an end. Thank you all very much for joining us today and we'll see you in a few weeks. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's video. If you like this episode, be sure to like and subscribe. You can also find more episodes on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your favorite podcast providers. You can find us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, or for more information, visit our website, triscolpodcast.weebly.com.